Welcome to the Lighthouse Baptist Church Sermon Archive. Today, you'll be listening to a message from the Word of God. Though preaching is no substitute for your personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, it does have the potential to convict and edify the believer. Please listen and be open to this message preached from the pulpit of Lighthouse Baptist Church. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. We'll be skipping down through chapter 2 here, and I'll let you know what verses we're in, but we're going to start in verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Skip down to verse 11, if you would, please. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. And then if you would, skip down to verse 24 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll read verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. God, I pray that you will put your hand of blessing on the reading of your word this morning. We are so thankful for the message that we've already heard in song through the hymns that we've sung, through the choir, through this presentation right before the message. And we're so thankful for the encouragement that those songs provided. And I pray that as we enter into the message of the morning, that you will Allow us to hear from you that you will help us be receptive to what you have for us today. And we'll ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now in the sixth message of our series entitled Letters to the Leaders. And we've had quite a journey so far. And if you've missed any of the messages up to this point, I'd encourage you to take time to go back and watch the message, my messages leading up to this one. Uh, we have learned so much about biblical leadership out of the pastoral epistles. And this morning, we are going to look at another truth that has to do with absolutely every Christian. We've seen that every Christian is called to be a leader, right? No, no Christian is exempt from that. We've seen that every Christian uh, is called to be a theologian. Every Christian has the responsibility to know God's Word for themselves, not just to hear it from me on Sundays, but to know God's Word for yourself. We've looked at many things that are true for every Christian, and this morning is no different. We're going to look at this truth. Leaders have conflict. Leaders have conflict. Now, maybe when you've heard this title, the first thought that came to you into your mind was conflict with other people. Maybe that's what came into your mind. 
And that's certainly true, but I want us to understand this morning that if you are going to be the leader that God called you to be, you are going to have a life of conflict. You could also substitute this word conflict for suffering, for interruptions, for setbacks. All of those things are true for God's children. The Lord Jesus Christ never told us that the Christian life was going to be easy, right? I'm thankful that the Lord made a habit of putting what it meant to follow Him right on the line so everyone could understand it. He glossed over nothing. And when we come to the pastoral epistles, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. Both letters to Timothy and Titus were written when Paul was surrounded by conflict, persecution, betrayal, and suffering. Paul, as he was writing this letter to Timothy, was living a life of conflict. So what can we learn that will help us as God-called leaders? How, what can we do to help us know what to do during times of conflict, opposition, sufferings, interruptions, and setbacks. Because if you're going to be a leader, you will experience those things. Paul tells us that suffering is a major part of leading. We are to suffer just as our leader, Jesus Christ, suffered. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, if we go back just a little bit, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There are some things I believe the Lord has for us this morning that will help bring some perspective and reality to our expectations of life. There are times in our lives when things don't go as planned and all God's people said, Amen. These interruptions in life cause conflict. We ask ourselves, why does God let these things happen? Maybe these interruptions are caused by a health setback. Maybe these interruptions are caused by a family situation or, or a work situation. Maybe these interruptions were caused by less than favorable encounters with other people. But these interruptions cause conflict in our lives and we must know how to deal with these situations in a biblical way. There are a lot of these types of situations mentioned in God's Word, by the way. These times of interruption. These times of conflict that you can sometimes feel jumping off the pages of Scripture. Um, I, I am a person that doesn't like to be interrupted. Where are my people today in the room? If I am on task to do something... I don't like to be veered off of that task because I, I don't like to be interrupted because I'm a very distracted person. And so if I am interrupted and to get me off task, it is very difficult to get me back on task. That's me bearing my sins to you this morning. 
but they happen all the time, don't they? they those, these interruptions of life. And, you know, I can think of a couple right off the top of my head out of Scripture. I can think of the interruption of the woman with the issue of blood. The disciples and Jesus were on a mission. That mission was good. It was what they were supposed to be doing. They were on a mission of the gospel, and then all of a sudden, this woman makes her way to the roadside and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And I'm glad God allowed that interruption to be recorded in Scripture, aren't you? It brings encouragement to me because it tells me that no matter what I'm going through personally, all I have to do is get to Jesus. Another interruption that no doubt caused some conflict was when four friends decided to cut a hole in a roof while Jesus was preaching a message and lower their friend down through the roof while Jesus was preaching. Because they knew if they could just get their friend to Jesus, their friend would be healed. And I, I shared this with somebody this week because I was so excited about the thought. And so if you're in the room and I already shared it with you, I'm sorry, this is a repeat. But in that account of Scripture, we won't turn there for time's sake, but in that account of Scripture, I don't know if you've ever realized something or not, here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, preaching a sermon in the house. The house is packed so much that no one could get in. Not one more person could get in the house. This was the Word preaching the Word. And not one word of that sermon is recorded in Scripture. We have no idea what he said. We have no idea what the sermon was about. We have no idea what he was saying that day in the house. But we do know about the interruption, don't we? We know about the conflict that took place because four men decided to do something about their friend's condition. Now, I want you to understand this because this is a hard truth. We should never underestimate the power of an interruption. We should never underestimate the power of conflict in our lives. If you're a child of God in this room this morning, then God has a plan. You may not see it right now. You may be in the midst of conflict. But please understand that God is the God of the universe. And if you are born again, He is your Father. You're in good hands. You may not take, he may not take the conflict away. He may not take the suffering away. But that's because leaders have conflict. So I want us to see a few things this morning that I believe will help us understand the tool of conflict in the Christian life. And so the first thing that I would like for you to see is this. Enduring conflict has a criteria. There's a criteria. If you're going to endure conflict, there's some criteria that you're going to have to follow in order to endure conflict biblically. And so it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. If we are going to endure conflict, suffering, setbacks, then the Bible gives us clear instructions in verse 5 on how we're going to do that. Paul says that in, in, in this pursuit for the crown, we must strive lawfully. That means observing all the conditions of both 
the contest and the preparation for the contest. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There are some criteria for this conflict that we will experience while we're living on this earth if we are going to endure it biblically. This verse is simply focusing on commitment that proceeds from legitimate faith, from genuine faith. In this culture that Paul is writing in at this time, in this culture, the driving force was attaining the prize. He is talking about a, an event here. He's talking about a sporting event here. And their goal was to attain the prize. This was a medal. This was a ribbon. This was a laurel wreath. You know, there's no wreath, not wreath. That's under the water. Uh, a laurel wreath. They would, they would have had no intentions of receiving exuberant contracts like Olympic runners do today or Olympic Olympians do today. That wouldn't have even been in their mind. They, they were running for something in our estimation to be very small. But they were still running for the prize. But unless the athlete trained practically and completed and competed within the rules, there was little possibility of winning. And so Paul is saying in verse 5 that unless the Christian stays within the confines of God's Word, if we're going to strive lawfully, we have to abide by this. This is how we win. This is how we get to the end. I know it's simple. I know this is like junior church, read your Bible and pray every day. But that is how we win. It's in within the confines of God's Word. And if we do not live and run within the confines of God's Word, there is no hope of winning. So notice the two, the two criteria here that Paul mentions. He mentions we must be trained. We must be trained. Christian living requires living within the guardrails of God's Word. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto our path, light unto my path. Praise the Lord that God didn't let us fend for ourselves after salvation. He gave us a rule book, but the rule book isn't like any other rule book. This rule book brings us to the cross. This rule book brings us to grace. This rule book brings us to the cross where Jesus exchanges the rules for grace and says, I will come live within you and empower you and guide you so you can strive lawfully and get the victory. And not only get the victory, but victory after victory after victory after victory. Victory doesn't mean conflict is over. It just means now you are more confident in God and His Word for the next conflict. I also see not only that we should be trained, but we must compete. 
mean, that's what it says there in verse 5, right? We're running. We are, we are striving. Well, who are we competing against? Well, that's a great question. Some people think we're competing with each other. That's not the case. Because if we're competing with each other, then all we would have to do is be a little bit better than the person sitting next to us. And we'd be good. Some people think that we're competing with the devil. That's not true either. Because you are no match for him. He's more powerful. He's more knowledgeable than you'll ever be. He knows what trips you up before you know what trips you up. If you're a child of God, you don't need to worry about the devil because now you're on God's team and we already have victory over death and hell. So we're not competing against the devil. The reality is you are competing against you. That person that you see in the mirror every morning, that person that you hear their voice in your head every day, that's that's who you're competing against. The reality is that you are your own rival. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That tells me that the temptation that I'm tempted with is already inside of me. There is not one person in this room that is exempt from committing any sin. We are all capable. We're all capable. Why? Because we have that sin nature inside of us. That's why you are the competition for you. A parody of a famous quote goes like this, We have met the enemy and he is us. He is us. You are competing against self in this conflict. Enduring conflicts means that you are going to overcome the conflict in this life. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to be trained and you're going to have to compete within the confines of God's word. Second thing I want you to see is this. Enduring conflict has consequences. If you're going to endure, if you're going to get through, that has some consequences. Look at verses 11 through 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. We've read these verses already, and I want you to notice that when we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were baptized into the Holy Spirit internally. And because of that, we believe the first step of obedience after one receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is to be baptized by immersion in the presence of the church to identify with Jesus Christ publicly. So because of the baptism that took place internally, there should be a public baptism that takes place externally that says, I'm now with Jesus. That picture brings new light to this verse when it says, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. The first consequence of enduring conflict is that we will be dead to self and live with Christ. We will be dead to self 
and live with Christ. You cannot endure conflict in this life without Jesus Christ. If you have not been raised to walk in newness of life spiritually through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, you will not win. The Bible clearly tells us that God is not in your corner if you have not accepted the free gift of salvation extended to you through Jesus Christ. If you have accepted that gift, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're a winner. But if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that means you are rejecting the gift that God has made available to you. And the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That means that if you are not saved in this room this morning, the wrath of God is right now upon you. And the only thing that is holding it back It's the grace of God allowing you to take another breath. You cannot resist the devil like it says in James chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. It says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You can't resist the devil if you have not submitted to God. You cannot resist the devil if you are not playing within the rules. You cannot resist the devil if you are not striving lawfully. If you've not submitted to the Lord, you are not striving lawfully. You are not complying with the rules. You must be saved if God is going to be for you. If you have not died the spiritual death and allowed God to bring uh, to, to breathe new life into your soul, you are not going to finish. So, we will be dead to self and live with Christ That's a consequence of enduring conflict. The second consequence is this. We will suffer and reign with him. We will suffer and reign with him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Some say this portion of Scripture in 2 Timothy 2 Timothy and uh, verses 11 through 13, some say that this portion of Scripture would have been used as a hymn. Uh, he used phrasing such as, if this, then this. They're called couplets in Scripture. And these first two couplets support the idea of suffering and conflict as being normal for the Christian. That's just normal. Living a life of conflict. Yes, a, the Christian life is a life of conflict. This section is contrasting the present life with the life that we will live eternally with Jesus Christ. The second set of couplets here focus on human failure and God's response. You know, when we identify with Jesus Christ by faith, we die to sin, we die to the world, we die to self. God raises us to a new kind of life as a part of the process of regeneration. 
The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The glory of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, has already come to pass. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. The glory of our resurrection, remember, we were dead, we were raised to new life with Christ, but the glory of our resurrection comes in the future. We haven't seen that yet. We have not fully realized everything that salvation has to offer us. There's so much beyond this world, Christian. That's why you shouldn't set your roots down too far here, because this world isn't our home. There's much more after this. In this present life, we still suffer the effects of this world that is dominated by sin. Sometimes Christianity is presented as the solution for your problems. It's the fulfillment of your needs. The Apostle Paul knew that wasn't true. The Apostle Paul knew that the Christian life was a life of constant conflict. But I want you to notice something. This book of the Bible was written to Timothy, a Christian, so he could tell other believers what Paul said. So if this book of the Bible is written to believers, how can verse 12 be true? If this book of the Bible is written to Christian, how can verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 2 be true? How can Christ deny his children? How is that even possible? Is this verse saying that if we as Christians mess up, if we fail, he will deny us? Is that, is that what this verse is saying? This verse, I need everybody to understand this. This verse is not talking about the great white throne of judgment. The great white throne of judgment is for sinners to be convicted, exposed, condemned, and banished to the lake of fire. If you want to read about it, go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It'll tell you about the great white throne of judgment. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, we won't be there. That's not for us. If you are blood-bought, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ because of His sacrifice on the cross, you will not be at the great white throne of judgment. And I'm thankful that verse 12 is not talking about that. This verse is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that can get a little confusing, I understand. This, this verse of the Bible is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment that every Christian will attend. This is where God's people will be reviewed, rebuked, and rewarded. There will not, however, be any wrath present at this judgment. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, He took the wrath of God on Himself so that we as believers would never know it, and all God's people said, Amen. You see, Jesus didn't just die for us, he died as us. 
If you are a believer in God's sight, when Jesus died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. And praise the Lord, when he rose victorious, you and I rose victorious. In Jesus Christ, each believer has passed through death and burial, and now because of the grace of God, we stand on resurrection ground with the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer, you and I, if you're saved and I'm saved, we have nothing to fear about death because Jesus took the sting of it for us. So you see, this verse is not talking about the great white throne of judgment because we're never going to see it. We're never going to see it because death has been dealt the death blow by the Son of God. There is no wrath at this judgment because the only ones present at this judgment are God's kids. There will be people at this judgment, and this is what this verse is talking about. There will be people at this judgment who have been saved, but their lives have been wasted. You see, beyond the judgment seat is the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. All believers will reign with Jesus Christ at this time. The denial of Christ in verse 12 is not talking about salvation. It's talking about rewards. It's talking about rewards. These people who did not strive lawfully, these people who did not handle conflict within the confines of God's Word will suffer loss in the millennial kingdom. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest... For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work, not every man's sin. Oh, that was paid for on the cross of Calvary. It's going to try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall also suffer loss. But, but, he himself shall be saved. Yet so is by fire. You see, this world is not the end, and some of you need to stop living like it is. We should look at our conflict and our sufferings in the light of the judgment seat of Christ. Because enduring conflict is going to produce some things. It's going to produce... Christ-like character. And can we just put those up on the screen just so we can see them in the last point? Produces Christ-like character. And then put the character traits up there because I'll just go briefly through them. If you notice the last portion that we read over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it's going to tell us what, what this enduring conflict produces. Produces us, when we endure conflict, we will be gentle. God's going to take us through some things to let us know that we don't have all the answers. We don't have it all together. We don't know everything. We will teach. You know, sometimes God will allow things in our lives so we may help others when they go through them. Have you ever thought about that before? That God will allow things to come into your life so you in turn can help somebody else go through that exact same thing? We will be patient because we know that our Father has all things under control. 
and then we will preach. Because our lives will be a living sermon if we strive lawfully in this conflict we call the Christian life. Charles Spurgeon said, It strikes me that conflict is the principal feature of the Christian life this side of heaven because God has a plan for the conflict. God has a plan for the suffering. And if we endure, we will reign. Mm -hmm.